0: a special episode for you today. And so just want to give a quick introduction before we get into it. We've got Stu Hynek today as as the guest, and he is a marketer, a cartoonist, and an author. And he talks about how to get a meeting with absolutely anyone. And he also discusses how he has committed marketing heresy by achieving a greater than 100% contact rate from his campaigns. Think about that reaching more than 100% of the people that you reach out to in an industry where even getting a a single-digit response rate is considered normal, if not good. So if if you're ever in the position of needing to market your business, needing to market yourself, or even just getting that meeting with someone, this episode is for you. And I also want to mention a couple of the previous episodes here that are worth checking out if you haven't had a chance to listen to them yet. So Chip Conley is a rebel entrepreneur, modern elder. He's disrupted the hospitality industry a couple of times. And he's got this great quote that he's young enough to take up surfing, old enough to know what's important in life. So he talks about really uh, approaching, disrupting industries, approaching things differently, and staying relevant as we get older and as we progress through our careers. Um, very, it was a fantastic conversation for me. And uh, you know, we could have fit three days of conversation into the half hour. There's so much to discuss there. And then we also had uh, Chris Hutchinson, who talked about turning thought into action. And one of the things that I love that he talked about was getting team commitment versus team agreement. How those are different, and how to achieve that. And then Nita Bhushan, a leadership coach, she talked about the the importance of vulnerability in leadership. So, you know, over the past four episodes here, uh, we're really covering a lot around disruption, leadership, uh, going your own way, charting your own path. And I'm just really excited about these past episodes and encourage you to give a listen if you haven't, um, or go listen to them again if you have. So anyway, let's get to today's episode. Welcome to Imperfect Action. This is Brock Edwards, and I'm pretty excited about today's guest. Uh, you know, one of the the persistent themes of this show is not only getting out of your own way, but really kind of going your own way. And and today's guest re- really kind of encapsulates both of that. In fact, I know we have more than a half hour worth of conversation, but we'll, we'll try and keep it to a half hour. Um, so today's guest is Stu Heineck. And Stu, can you introduce yourself real quick?
1: Yeah. Hi, I'm Stu Hynek.
0: How's that? Excellent. That was perfect. Um no one no one's done it shorter.
1: Uh, <laughs> well uh, uh, tell us
0: a little bit about yourself, Stu.
1: Sure. Uh I'm I'm I have this crazy background or combination of backgrounds. Uh I'm a marketer, but I'm also one of the Wall Street Journal cartoonists and an author. And um and the two things actually they don't they seem like they don't, I don't know, that they don't uh Fit together, perhaps, but actually, they're fitting together really, really nicely. I've used cartoons in marketing; it's been very—they're they're incredible devices for that. Um, and and all of that has led to writing a couple of books. So, The first one did really, really well. Next one's coming out in October. So, yeah, that's that's kind of the background. All
0: right. Well, and, and the book that's out is called "How to Get a Meeting with Anyone," and we'll, we'll talk about that here in a sec. But. I'm curious, so did you start off to be a cartoonist or did you start off to be a marketer and then learn cartooning?
1: Well, marketing is what I studied in college, but um, you know, a friend of mine, I went to USC without the bribe, of course, but I went to USC and uh, and as I was as we were finishing up, a friend of mine was telling me that he was taking a class at the UCLA Extension School from Eric Teitelbaum uh, on how to cartoon and about cartooning. I thought, oh my God, that's incredible. So we, his name was Dick Martin. He and I would talk a lot about the about the class and who came in. It was the, car- the cartoon editor of The New Yorker came in. I'm thinking, holy cow, that's incredible. And the more he talked about it, the more I, th- I, the more I got motivated to just get up and do something about cartooning. Because I'd always been doing it just sort of on desks in school and all, you know. I've always I've I've always been drawing and always been playing with cartooning and so when I heard all of that it just sort of gave me permission to go and um and so but you know they 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 end up they ended up um, happening simultaneously I think one of the things though that they really caused me to mix the two together was was when I was uh, again very early in those back in those days I was a member of the cartoonist guild and I joined them after all of this stuff with Dick um, and. The Cartoonist Guild would send articles and and other information to help us just market ourselves as cartoonists, I suppose. And one day they sent an article from Folio Magazine. So Folio is probably not well known to your audience. It's the magazine for people who publish magazines, and there was an article in there that said that when 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 readership surveys are run by magazines and newspapers, they were finding that cartoons were almost always the best read and remembered parts of magazines and newspapers. I thought, well, that's incredible. You know, what would that do in a marketing setting? And and so that's that's sort of what lit the fuse for using the two together. Were there a lot of marketers using cartoons? No, 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 uh, and and specifically, uh, this was when direct marketing or direct mail, I should say, was really, really coming to the fore. And and um, and David Ogilvy, the founder. I don't know if you do you know David's name. I uh, definitely yeah. So, sounds familiar. Yeah. So sort of the original yeah. thought think, thought leader in and certainly in marketing, the founder of Ogilvy and May, they're one of the biggest agencies in the world. Well, he used to say. Back in those days, he used to say that humor didn't work, or humor doesn't work in advertising or marketing. And another time, he said people don't buy from clowns. I mean, he's just dead set against humor in marketing or advertising. So all of all of the people who followed him felt the same way and repeated the same things dutifully. <laughs> you know, they were acolytes, and so they would. Um, they would say, well, you know, humor doesn't work. You can't use humor. That's, I mean, all the, the experts of direct marketing would get up on stage and and they'd have their list of things to like 10 things to do or not do to have a successful uh, campaign. And and the use of humor or avoidance of the use of humor was always on that list. And I w- would sit in the audience and I would think to myself, man, these, these guys, they, they really don't get it. They don't understand how powerful these devices are. So, um, I, I was actually bucking a trend for a very long time. Uh, I was the only one doing it actually um, and eventually uh, spurred on a, I, don't, I, I probably started a form of direct mail because of that because it ended up being widely uh, um, widely although not very done very well but widely imitated. So yeah, they didn't do it then I cost them they caused them to to give it a try. And if you don't know what you're doing with it then well it's kind of like getting up on stage and telling a joke and they, the guys that were that had that on their list of things to do and number three, by the way, don't tell jokes it doesn't work. Well maybe it didn't work for them. maybe they don't have, know how to tell jokes. There's kind of a science and an art to it. so um, you know it, it probably was was just as well that that um, for the most part people would try it they'd dip their their toe in the water and then it would it would fail and they'd say, okay, this doesn't work.
0: You know, there's a a cognitive bias, and I forget the name of it. It is named after, I think, a Hollywood producer. But basically, the idea is that in in modern society, it's better to fail conventionally than to succeed unconventionally. And, Hmm. you know, even when you're succeeding unconventionally, you still get the naysayers going, well, that doesn't work. And... So, so I love that, you know, you had the, the experts, the, the top experts in the field and you still went, yeah, I'm going to go do my own thing here. Yeah. And, 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 it, it, you know, that's kind of audacious and it panned out. So, but I know you've also built on that. And so can you just give kind of a, in fact, you coined the phrase for a type of marketing, contact marketing. And can you tell us a little bit about what, what is that?
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know. But again, back it goes back to those old days, the very beginning of my career, when I wanted to create direct. I wanted to create direct mail, ultimately for publishers, for the big magazine publishers, and so um, you know, I, I I went out. You have to, if you're going to do that, if you're going to break into any industry, you're going to have to break into somebody or something first, and so I did that pretty quickly with Bon Appetit. Pardon me, Bon Appetit, and um, and Rolling Stone, and both of those uh, titles commissioned me to create a test campaign. So this went up against their their how do I describe this? It's their control. It's actually in, in statistics, you always test against the control, a constant. In direct marketing, you're testing against the control, which is the most effective thing they've ever put in the mail. And so, if you tie it, you've you've really Really done something? You just tied the record. If you beat it, well, you just you just set the new record, and that's what happened with my very two first first two um, um, attempts at creating uh, direct mail campaigns for publishers. Both of them went out; of, they just knocked it out of the park. And so I said, okay, then what I need to do is now. Now that I have these two, I mean, now I have two controls under my under my belt. All, all of a sudden, so I need to bring this story to the rest of the publishing industry. And what that meant was, I needed to reach about two dozen VPs of either circulation or consumer marketing for the for the magazines, and uh, and so we're and we're talking about VPs of Time Inc. and Time uh, Times Mirror magazines and Condé Nast and Forbes and so on. These are not easy people to reach, but I just thought, well, okay, I've got to do something anyway. And I put together a little campaign. I didn't know what to call it, so I called it a contact campaign. And it consisted of a, an eight by ten print of a cartoon about the recipient. I mean, that was sort of my that was my device to to get mail opened and read and get people to follow all the way through to to um, to, to paying for subscriptions. And so, uh, anyway, eight by ten print and then a note that said, "Hey, this is the device I just used to beat the control for Rolling Stone and Bon Appetit, and I'd like to. I'd, I think we should put this to the test for your titles." Well, I'm just kind of curious. What do you think that little camp? So again, out to 24 people. Let's say I don't know what what the final count was, but about 24 people. What do you think that the, the response rate to that campaign would be? Well, I think the
0: you know typical response rate of just a, a male campaign is what it's like two two percent, five percent, very low.
1: Yeah, yeah. We always used to hear one percent, but and I don't know that there is really a number, but yeah. Okay. So so I. Wow, I was like
0: 500% higher than what it may actually be. So 1%. So, I mean, you couldn't even, you'd have to have a quarter person call you back, um, to hit that. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> but, but, uh, but, but obviously, uh, you, you must've done a little bit better than that.
1: I did. I did. That campaign pulled a hundred percent. I got through to all of them. And not only that, but all of them became clients. So it was also a hundred percent conversion from that campaign, <laughs> actually. so, so, so that's it was, pretty it was interesting. An amazing thing it mean, actually started my business and and it was and it all was you know based on a campaign that went to 24 people that cost me about a hundred dollars
0: so, so you, you got started doing cartooning which they said you know hey that doesn't work don't do it and you went ahead and did it and then you did a direct mail campaign which sh- should have you know I guess at best had like one maybe two people respond you got a hundred percent response which uh would also be impossible if you listen to the experts. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I'm not sure where I'm going with that, but I like you say that, you know, that is just, you're, you're the word iconoclast comes to mind. I mean, you were doing it totally different than what everyone is saying you're supposed to be doing it um, and getting amazing results at.
1: Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. That's a really helpful way to do things. I think <laughs> actually healthy way of going about it.
0: So hundred percent response rate. Um, you know, is that typical of this type of, of contact marketing campaign now that, I mean, cause you said that was at the start of your career.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I actually, you know, what happened was, uh, Brock, is that I thought, well, isn't this cool? You know, I, I just got through to all of them. I, you know, how far can this go? And that's when I started playing with, well, maybe I'll reach out to the president <laughs> or, or how about the prime minister of Canada or, you know, um, et cetera. And, um, uh, and and then what i discovered was that it was really much more useful just reaching out to let's say well we didn't even call them c-suite back then but to the to the president and vice presidents of the of the companies um and and i was getting through to all of them too and all sorts of top decision makers i was getting through to all of them but the thing that got really you know i, I guess so in the beginning i was saying well aren't i cool i've got a secret weapon i can get through to anyone isn't that amazing and then i got Here's the here's the big transition point when I got curious about what everyone else was doing because I thought, oh, wait a minute, I'm not the only one who's faced this this challenge. Obviously, to get through to people who are very very important to to us, and if you think about it, every big thing that happens in our lives happens as a result of connecting with someone someone else. I mean, it's always it always has to do with meetings. So. Or uh, and making connections, so I got really curious about what everyone else was doing. How are they solving this problem? And you know, you just can't underestimate the creativity of humankind. And when there's a need to get through to people who are important, you can count on on humankind to find all kinds of ways to do it. And that's that. As I say, that's when things really got interesting. Because, and that's what actually led to writing writing my book, my first book, "How to Get a Meeting with Anyone," was just just a survey of what people were doing to break through. And it's just, it's amazing stuff.
0: So what are some of the things that that stood out for you or kind of surprised you as you were doing this research and talking to people?
1: Well, one of, well, there's a guy that we know in common, Dan Waldschmidt, uh, who had a great story, amazing story. In fact, you know, I got that hundred percent response rate, but I was in an industry where everyone was saying no, no, no. Hundred percent response rates are impossible, and they probably are to a direct mail campaign. But they were just saying no. Hundred percent response rates are absolutely impossible. If you're talking about that, you don't know what you're talking about. So I would keep quiet about it, you know. But then I met Dan. Dan Waldschmidt also was getting hundred percent response rates, um, and and we know that Dan is a he's a top. Uh, sales blogger, one of the top sales bloggers in the world, Edgy Conversations, is his blog. And um, but what he does for a living, though, is he's a turnaround specialist. So he works with companies that have, you know, that are having problems. And his his approach method is just incredible. What he does is he combs the business news for stories of missed earnings estimates every day. And when he finds one, he has a beautiful sword made up. And um, I don't know if he's ever sent you one, Brock, but but anyway, (laughs) some people have them and some don't, but um, he has this beautiful sword made up. It's engraved with with the CEO's name and, and an inscription, if you're not all in, you're not in at all, one of Dan's favorites. And then it's put in this beautiful wooden box with a note, a handwritten note that says, Hey, dear Bob... You know, I know I know business is war and I noticed you lost a battle recently. I just want to let you know, if you ever need a few extra hands in battle, we've got your back. And he send it to assigned it to Dan Waldsmith and he'd send that out by by FedEx. And he was he's getting a hundred percent response rate to that campaign. Which you know, it's interesting. It's really gutsy, and it really—it's it, it, a great ex- example of contact marketing here. Because I just told you about mine, and it—it it cost me a hundred dollars to start my business. Dan's approach is very different. He spends a thousand dollars a piece on those swords, on those sword pieces. So, you know, you—I he, he, guess you'd say he's taking a big risk. Uh, I suppose he is, but every time he gets an assignment, it's worth a million dollars and up. So it's not a huge risk. He needs to just get a few of those, and and it really pays off. and And so the fact that he gets through to all of these people um, is is pretty amazing. It's not that all of them become clients. That's okay, but he's actually blasting through to all of them. And you know, the the sword is a metaphor for a couple of things. One, of course, is the he's mentioned he's, he's got your back. He'll go to battle for you. But I think it's also a metaphor or a demonstration of Dan's, uh, his, the way that he thinks and, uh, just, you know, how capable he is, just how he, how he thinks of things and how he, he, uh, um, uh, how, how, how he puts them into action, and and so the CEO is getting this really cool thing in the in the mail, or not the mail, but from FedEx that shows him that Dan's willing to go to battle for him. But he's also showing him how just how competent Dan is and you i guess you can also get that from i think you know dan runs uh, not marathons he runs 100 mile races and wins i mean he's, he he's an ultra competitive athlete he's the real deal he's just someone that if you if you had a problem with your company and you needed a turnaround specialist he's your guy so that's a pretty cool one um there there are lots and lots of others
0: though so, yeah, and, and I think that's actually great contrast, because one of my questions for you as we were talking was, oh, well, okay, but, you know, what if I'm not a cartoonist? Um, obviously, Dan isn't. He he chose a different route. Um, so, yeah, uh, all right, you know, so i I got, oh, go I, ahead. I
1: was just going to say that that's, a, that's an interesting question that I hear all the time. Well, what if I'm not a cartoonist? Of course, I just answered it with, with Dan's uh, with Dan's story, but could I share another one with you? Because I think it really illustrates. Oh, you don't have to be a cartoonist. So, so yeah, there's another please. fellow um, that I got to know after after How to Get a Meeting with Anyone came out. His name is Kenny Madden, and Kenny was Kenny's a, a sales manager today. Um, he's been a sales rep for a long time as well, and uh, but he was up. With, the thing is, his his actual formal training was in art, so he uh, he paints and he he was telling me a story of once that about three entrepreneurs they were all located in the flat iron building in in new york you know are you familiar with that really thin triangular shaped it's a really famous oh, yeah. building and i think it's about 10 feet wide yeah. i don't know it's a it's a really funny building really distinctive building i should say well so so he created f- uh, three oil paintings of of the, the flat iron building And uh, and sent them to each of the three entrepreneurs. They they each had startups in the building, and of course, got through to all of them. Well, he was telling that story to his his colleagues, to his sales team. I don't know. Let's call it ten years ago, perhaps something like that. And they were saying, "Well, that's great, but you know, we're not painters, so what do we do?" And Kenny said, "Well, think of the thing that think of the the thing is." Painting is the thing that I can't not do every day. I just have to do it every day. So, what is your can't not do thing that you just can't go a day without doing? What is it? What is it about you that? What's unique about you? What is it you do? What is it you produce? You know what do you? What are you interested in? What's the thing that you just can't go a day without doing? And so one of the one of the young women in the group said, "Well, I like to knit. Does that count?" He said, Yeah, of course. So he worked with her and they they identified or she identified someone that she'd wanted to get through to for a while and they had just the company had just merged with another. So Kenny said, Okay, I want you to knit them a scarf that use the colors of the two companies, combine them together, and send it to your to send it to the the contact you're trying to reach. Well, she did that. And um and then nothing happened. And Kenny said, just wait. So it just went. I don't even think she sent a note. I'm not sure if she sent a note or, or a card. But she didn't. She wasn't pitching anything. And Kenny said, "Just keep waiting." And it took a few weeks. And then one of the vice presidents called her up and said, I, "I'm calling on behalf of the of the CEO." And um, and I we just we just wanted to talk to you a little bit and find out. Well, thank you so much for the scarf. What is it you do? Tell us about what you do. And she got a new account <laughs> that way. So nice. you know, she wasn't a cartoonist. Kenny's not a cartoonist. He's he's a painter. Um, you might be a photographer. You might, or, or you might like to skydive. There might be something that you have in common with other people. It's cert- certainly, there there are things that we can all do that that um, that can allow us to give a piece of ourselves, which is what I'm doing with cartoons. But that's not the only thing. You, I mean, that's also not the only way to do it. Um, there, I mean, there. God, they're just. Where do I go? There's, there's so many, so many fascinating ways of, of breaking through. In fact, you know, Dan is not a, he's not a swordsman where <laughs> he's, he just, he, he figured out what, what visual metaphor he'd like to send. And, and that, that's what he used. Um, there's another, I, I don't know. Do you, have you ever had John Rulon or do you know John Rulon at all? I don't right, The know author John. of Giftology? Yeah, no, I don't. the wrote a book called G- Giftology? Of- Giftology, and he's he's also a fascinating guy. He used to work with Cutco knives, and uh, and he came up with just this brilliant use of Cutco knives as a as a contact device. What he would do is he'd send a butcher, well, I guess it's a butcher's block, it's the knife block, you know, the, the the stand that the knives go in. So he'd send one with one knife in it, and then he'd send one knife from the set every week, and. Uh, and and he said that pretty soon. Well, so of course they would bring this home, and it would end up in the kitchen. And pretty soon, the the spouses uh, of of the the executives would say, "Well, so who is this guy, and when are you going to do business with him?" <laughs> and so I think that's pretty cool. He gets the he gets the spouse spouse actually working for for him.
0: So why don't more people do this? Um, I, I mean, so you know, one hundred percent response rate. Um, sure it might cost you a thousand bucks for a sword or some yarn or, you know, what, whatever it is. But, um, with a hundred percent response rate, it seems like you, you know, you've got a lot of cushion, even if not everyone decides to buy. Um, why don't we hear about this much?
1: Well, not because I haven't been trying, (laughs) that's for sure. (laughs) I think it just takes a while. Look, it takes a while. And on the other hand, Um, this is something people have been doing naturally for a very, very long time. The earliest example, I've, you know, when we just think about giving a gift to get through to someone, um, we know that that's just been happening since the beginning of time, probably. And and the earliest example I know of is um, of a of an actual contact campaign is uh, is that came from Leonardo Leonardo da Vinci. Actually, so it's a long time ago. This is something that people do naturally. One of the things though that I want to talk to you, or I should mention is <clears throat> you mentioned the the hundred percent response rates that i've just that I've just mentioned with Dan's campaign and some of my campaigns but i want to say i actually want to say two things: one is that you don't always get a hundred percent response right that's not that's not really. Uh, that's that's a lot <laughs> you know you might get a ten percent response rate, but if you were not getting through before I mean, from for example if dan was was only getting a ten percent response rate but he wasn't getting through at all before, well then those are opportunities to sell million dollar engagements and it would still make sense for him. But then I've got to say I'm going to have to reverse direction a little bit. Um, in the new book, it did bother me that if we let's say if we if we were getting if we were identifying a, a list of companies that we really wanted to do business with. In other words, we're using account based marketing uh, strategy, and um, and so let's say the top tier um, are. Are the ones that we really have there. Those would be the best ones. They'd be the biggest ones. They'd be the best fits for us. It would make a big difference in the scale of our businesses or of our careers if we could get these, this, this top strata of of accounts. And and I'm thinking of a real world example. Actually, one of our one of our big clients was. They were they were reaching out to their global accounts, their top stratum of, of accounts in in their ABM strategy, and they weren't getting through. And we then used the our, our I, I use cartoons now in a, as is as, as uh, or in the form of what I call a big board. It's an eighteen by twenty four inch, quarter inch thick foam core board, and it's sent in some gallery sort of it's some some uh, custom corrugated. Um, cardboard packaging that makes it look like it came out of a cartoon art gallery and so the, uh, so on one side there's a there 's a cartoon about the recipient and on the other side there 's branding and messaging a message from the sender to the recipient explaining you know who they are why they 'd like to meet, and what the next steps are so those went out. And we were suddenly going from a 0% contact rate to 70% contact rate and a 50% meeting rate. Those are incredible numbers. Those are numbers that are just off the scale in terms of, of marketing um marketing campaign results. But it started to bother me as I was writing this next book that if you know if if these are the global if these global accounts, if these top that top stratum are the best possible uh, clients we could have and we've done an outreach and we got through to 70% of them what about the other 30% we shouldn't leave them leave that alone obviously and so, in the new book, I created a, or I added to the contact marketing model. So we don't just send out or, or do, do our approach, get 60%, 70%, or 100 percent would be great. But if we just get lower than 100 percent, we just move on to the next list of, of accounts. Uh, I, I think we should be getting through to all of them. So So now I've got to make, make this crazy. Bold statement, which is, I think now that with the new model, we should be setting the baseline for response to a contact marketing campaign to a hundred percent, and that's marketing heresy. I realize, but but there there are reasons why I think that can actually happen if we add in some some interesting little, uh, or I should say, some interesting digital uh, digital marketing uh, persistence campaign elements to the to the to the campaign, and another. Another element to it, which which is pocket campaigns, which which replace business cards. And if we use the three of these things, that and the, the regular outreach campaign, I think we should be hitting hundred percent response rates pretty regularly.
0: So it's so a wacky question for you. Can you go above a hundred percent?
1: Yeah, and so it well, sounds again. How does that it sounds like absolute marketing heresy like I you know. Like I see UFOs all the time, you know. But yes, it actually is. Um, and you might even wonder, well, what does that look like? I mean, hundred percent is that's it. That's as much as you can get. But it turns out that if you if you send someone when we send the the big cardboard pieces again, remember it, this doesn't have to be about cartoons. But I'm just telling you about my direct experience that when we send these big cartoon pieces out, um, one of the things that happens. And it's the thing that it's always the object. I think it's always the objective. Certainly, is my objective with contact marketing campaigns, is I want the person on the other end of this to say, "Wow, man, I love the way this person thinks." I mean, think about Dan Walshmith's swords too. There, the CEO on the on the other end of that is saying, "Wow, I love the way this guy thinks." You know, I just I've got to meet him. I I want more. And so, um, so the same thing happens with those cartoon pieces. But now here's the thing. What if, what if? Well, actually, I guess what I need to do, if I may, is share a quick story with you. Absolutely. Is that all right? Okay. Cool.
0: Oh, absolutely. So,
1: you know, I talked about pocket campaigns, and I w- and I was examining for the new book. You know, the business cards—they're—they're they're kind of—they're based on an old strategy of aggrandizing our our uh, our contact details and making us look important, and nobody cares. They don't work. They're they're just they get thrown into boxes and or thrown away. It's, nobody cares about them. But there are certain cards that we've all gotten. It's a really tiny subsection of uh, of of the cards that we've gotten in our life over our lifetimes. That you just say, Wow, well, no, that was a really cool card, <laughs> right?" And I wanted to I wanted to, wanted to figure out as I was writing the book or doing the research for the book, what is it about those cards that causes us to do that? And I realized that those cards are almost always involvement devices. There's some sort of invitation to play or use the card in some way or keep it. And they're more than business cards. They're, and they, In fact, a lot of them don't even have logos on them. They don't that's not the point. It's not it, it's it's um it's just to cause people to say, well, that's fascinating. And so a great example of this, probably my favorite example of this, was this one fellow's card that was printed on a, a sheet of Let's say business card size, uh, rubber um, rubber sheeting, and so you know it's kind of thin, it's floppy, um, and th- the card was placed on a jig before printing, so they pr- so it was stretched. Then they printed on it, and then allowed the ink to, to dry and cure. Then they take it off the the jig. Well, okay, it returns to its regular, I mean, to its original shape, but now all the contact details are squeezed together, so people will naturally grab it on both ends and stretch it to read it. Well, so he was telling me that he'd go out to, let's say, a pub and he gets into a conversation with someone about, well, what do you do? Oh, yeah, that's great. What do you do? And they exchange business cards and he pulls out this floppy little thing, hands it to the person. It's like an ambush, right? I mean, they're going, what is this? And of course, they grab it on both ends to, to stretch it and it reveals it's Paul Nielsen's card. He's a fitness trainer. And guess what? He already has you exercising. That's pretty cool, right? So, so you know, the, the effect is so magical that he said that people that these people would ask, Well, gosh, can I keep your card? Sure, of course. Well, then they bring it to the office and they'd show it around to friends and colleagues. Check out this card I got from this guy. Well, they, of course, they'd all they'd naturally grab it and stretch it. And he said, Look at that, he's a fitness trainer. He already has you. fit, he already has you exercising. They have a good laugh about it. Well, Paul said that every time he handed out a card, he would get three or four new clients. We got to think about what that says for a moment, because you know I've got pretty cool business cards. They have cartoons on them, all that stuff. I can put the Wall Street Journal, um, you know, the frame around the cartoon, all that stuff. So look, you're one of the cartoonists from the Wall Street. That's fantastic, and they have a lot of impact. But I've never once handed out a business card and have someone call me back and say I want to do business with you just because of the card, but he was getting three or four new clients every time he handed out one of those cards. That's amazing. And, and so you asked if, if it's possible to get more than a hundred percent or greater than a hundred percent response to a campaign. Well, that's exactly what he was doing. He was getting three or 400%. Yeah,
0: that's really cool. So we were talking a little bit before we got started recording here, here's to just about, you know, it strikes me that you and, uh, well, it almost seems like most really successful people who have kind of taken this iconoclast approach, you know, they, they've gone their own way and, you know, not everyone who goes their own way is successful, but it seems like everyone who's successful ha- has really just chosen their own path. And I guess, what advice would you have for anyone, um, about how to best go about doing that? Cause that's kind of a scary thing.
1: I guess, but well, I, and you know, we're we're looking back at a lifetime career <laughs> worth of career, and saying, "Well, here's how that here's the pathway. Here's how how that all how this all happened." And it makes it sound like I met I never made mistakes, <laughs> and that's not true. I made lots and lots and lots of mistakes, and um, you not every not every. Well, this is going to be an understatement. Not everything you you try. I'm going to say, not only does not everything you try succeed, but most things will fail. A lot of them will. But I think you just have the have the mindset that well I just have this is what I have to do I mean I would I think I would go crazy not doing these things so um, you don't want to be coming to the end of your life saying oh but if only I'd done this you know do it <laughs> go out and do it if you fail don't worry I mean the, you know the the the, the fa- failure is useful I mean it's it's necessary if you're going to succeed because it's it's how you learn so don't be afraid to fail you know, learn from it, find your way through. And, um, and I don't know, just do the things that, that show up to you as being very, very important to you to do.
0: Well, that seems like a, a great spot to, to kind of, kind of end this conversation. Uh, where can people find you? Where can they, where, where can they track you down on the internet, Stu?
1: Well, they can, well, I guess the first thing I should say is I have an author site. It's com. So S-T-U-H-E-I-N-E-C-K-E. Dot com. And if you go there, you can... Uh, the reason I'm giving that is because if you go there, you can get a, a free sneak preview of of my n- new book that's coming out in October called Get the Meeting. So you can go there. And if you want to just connect with me personally, you can connect there um, or you can connect with me on, on LinkedIn. Pretty easy to find me.
0: All right. Fantastic. Well, my final question for you then, Stu, and it's one that I, I try and ask all my guests is... Um, what would your ask be of the listeners? How can
1: they help you out? Well, I guess there are two things that come to mind. One is, uh, well, I, you know, I don't, want, I don't want to turn this into, we go buy my book and then, you know. But of course, I, we authors are always thrilled to hear from people who bought our books. But the thing, that the biggest thrill that I get from having written these books is when someone gets in touch with me and says, well, I read your book. And I put it to use, and here, and it changed everything. Let me tell you my story. And I hear the stories, and I'm just blown away. In fact, sometimes they end up in the books. So, so that's one. If you have a story like that, tell me about it, because I, I would love to know about that. In fact, if you have stories about how you've broken through uh, to to important people, I'd love to hear about those things too. Get on, get in touch with me on on LinkedIn, and let's let's talk. Maybe I can have you on my on my um, How to Get a Meeting with Anyone podcast. Um, and the other is that you know, Brock, we, we've, 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 I've wanted to start something, sort of a charitable uh, group, based on cartooning to help, you not know, just raise funds uh, for for important things in the world. And I always thought that well, I, I have to wait until I really, really made it. And, I, and then I realized, well, no, I don't need to wait for anything. I need to just get this going. And so I started a group called Cartoonists.org, which is a group of cartoonists from the Wall Street Journal and the New Yorker, and we donate our art to help charities raise funds. Um, and uh, and so when when the art is auctioned, usually it's at gala events held by the by the charity. Then when the when the art is auctioned, a hundred percent of what what the art sells for goes to the charity. We don't take anything. And so I'd love to know more about if anyone has interesting uh, charity events coming up. I'd love to hear about those too.
0: Oh, fantastic. Uh, Stu, this has been a great conversation. I, I really appreciate it. You know, I say, I, I just really love the kind of the, the go your own way approach and that you were, you had that that courage and that, just that mindset of, um, no, this is the right way to go. You know, this is the way that's going to work for me. Um, and there's just so much to take from that. So thank you so much for being on today.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me on.